Greetings, fellow ACA members. This is board member Ashley Whitmore from Tehachapi Municipal Airport. You're listening to ACA Calm One, the podcast series, bringing the latest news and information to California GA airport professionals. Hello, my name is Andy Swanson, and I'm the chair of the Emerging Technologies Committee for the Association of California Airports. Today, I have some guests that are going to share with you some of the latest emerging technologies and what is ahead of us. This podcast will give you a perspective on one specific technology that is evolving quite fast. I will have our guests introduce themselves and we'll start with Sarah. Please introduce yourself. Hi. So my name is Sarah Lujan. I am a member of ACA and have been attending the conferences for the last four years. Uh, I work for Kimley Horn and Associates and have been specializing in aviation design for the last 10 years with Kimley Horn. Great, Sarah. And Scott, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Scott Barry. I work for Joby Aviation. Been really, really fortunate to be getting to do my passion. I grew up in the Central Valley of California, getting to fly with my dad as a young kid flying all over, tail draggers, biplanes, just really lucky to be up, grow up around that type of environment. I, again, was very fortunate to get my pilot's license when I was 16. Uh, we had a Stearman biplane at the time. And so that's what I got to do it in, which is pretty, pretty cool looking back. Anyway, worked my way up and went to school down here in San Luis Obispo, California, and got a mechanical engineering degree, but flying all that time and getting all kinds of ratings and having a blast. I was pretty convinced I had to go work in the aerospace industry with my passion and just to go help improve the world through aviation. So after my degree, I went out to the Mojave Desert, like all good engineer, aerospace engineers do. And I wanted to go work on the most advanced leading edge stuff. And I, I found myself at General Atomics, working in the Mojave Desert at their R&D center, developing the latest and greatest Predator UAVs. One of the big projects I worked on for a handful of years uh, was about a 20,000-pound stealth aircraft with a jet engine. Just so exciting. So got to do some really neat work leading the systems engineering team out there in the design group. I was not really looking for a job, but I was getting frustrated with my drive from where I lived on the Hesperia Airport at the time. I had one of those hangar home places, and I'd drive to work all out in the Mojave Desert, and it was crazy. Like, 20-mile drive was taking me 45 minutes because the traffic was literally just that bad, and there weren't any great roads to get me where I needed to go. This is about 2014 electric drones and all this type of microcontrollers and electric batteries were getting better and better. And so I kind of said, I should just build a small like quadcopter, a four rotor single seat thing. I should just design this thing and I could fly to work. I could go from my house, land in the parking lot at work, walk in and then fly back home. Right. (laughs) So that was the goal was to kind of like develop this product and get into this EV toll, electric vertical takeoff and landing industry. So long story short, I had some of my close friends and good engineers, and we were designing this product. We got to the point where I needed to get an electric motor, a high power density electric motor. And there weren't many companies around really doing that. Siemens in Germany, big company, and this little company called Joby, which was located in Santa Cruz. And so my mom lived there and I was going to go home and see her soon. So I told the guys, I said, hey, when I go see my mom, I'll go to this Joby place and knock on the door and see if I can get them to sell me one of their motors and I'll bring it back and we'll put it in our test stand and, and keep developing. Long story short, I met this guy, this crazy guy, Joe Ben. <laughs> Turns out he was the founder of the company 
And we got into a heated discussion around my design and was like arguing about this and that. And I said, after about 20 minutes, I said, can I just buy an electric motor? And he started to say, well, what do you do? And why don't you come work for me? And long story short, here I am. So quite a journey joining the Joby team. It's just phenomenal. Like our mission, like what we're up to is to literally help make the world a better place to live. And we're doing it through these electric vertical takeoff and landing types of aircraft and systems. And so we want to help make the planet better. We want to reduce carbon emissions, get traffic off the road, really make like our lives getting to and from work or wherever we need to go, make that better by giving people back their time and doing it through this very safe and reliable and efficient system, right? This vehicle that can help us do those things and, and revolutionize how we get around as human beings and move packages and all of that stuff. So it's been a heck of a journey, really, really amazing company and just very blessed to kind of be involved and in, in having a part of it. My role at Joby currently, I've gotten to do a lot of things. I've been there for seven years now. And uh, <laughs> in a startup like this, you really do have to wear many hats. And so it's been a lot of fun. My formal role right now is to lead the vehicle certification team. So we're very focused every day, just taking this design and maturing it and getting it through the whole certification process, which is very intense, very long process. And the FA has been just amazing to work with. Uh, incredible team that we're getting to, to work through all of this. We're very focused on working through all these details and getting our product, which is actually a service. We're not just designing the vehicle, but we're actually going to provide a service where we, Joby, design the vehicle, we're going to build the vehicle, and then we're going to operate it. So we really have our arms wrapped in the whole ecosystem. And the, one of the main reasons we're doing that and taking on such a huge burden to, to have all that under our control is because of safety. It is the number one value in our company. It's the number one focus we do in everything, not just design the vehicle, but how we operate. And so we can control that whole ecosystem and have our Joby pilots flying our Joby aircraft and providing this service to end users like you and I. That's how we'll provide the highest level of safety. So very exciting stuff. That's what we're up to. And uh, I guess we'll talk later about where we're doing that at Jeff's airport and related. So great. Thanks, Scott. And Jeff, it's yourself. All right, I'm Jeff Crusher. I'm the airport manager for City of Marina. I happened to join the uh, City of Marina in 2005. I've worn many hats for the city. I've got a, a management analyst, redevelopment agency, economic development background. Came out to work specifically on developing the airport in late 2013. And so I've been airport manager since 2013. Joby represents the uh, best opportunity at economic development, job creation, and they're just super wonderful people to work with, and we're excited to have them here. So we'll share more later. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Jeff. I think I missed one point. My day job is the airport manager of the city of Palo Alto. I have the pleasure of seeing and hearing about a lot of this new technology and being on the peninsula, getting a lot of interest about different types of technology. This one today that we're looking at, and we'll go back to Scott and really hear about what they're doing at Joby is one that I look at as almost like the competition to who is going to build the first Model T. I really think that's the race that's on right now. There's many companies, and I think Joby is one that is 
is out there very competitive. And I think Scott will tell us why he's going to win that race. So Scott, let's go to you and let's hear about really what you guys are doing, where we're going with this. Well, we've been uh, in stealth mode for quite a while. About 2008, Joe Ben was doing a lot of things, uh, rolling out of some of his developed companies, but just has always had a passion for aviation, particularly electric, distributed electric type of propulsion systems, and to do that vertically. But all the reasons I listed of you know why Joe exists and what we do is, has been his focus. So Joby's been developing really since 2008 powertrain systems, so the battery and electric propulsion and the flight controls to make it all work. Just been a really fun development to kind of work through all of that. There's been some early efforts. There's been some work with NASA, some contracts to kind of help develop that with NASA. And then really around 2014, 2015, the company kind of pivoted from some smaller aircraft designs to this bigger aircraft that you see today on our website. And so from there, we've just really started to ramp up, investments started coming in, and just this whole industry was really, like pun intended, like literally taking off. So a lot of early stage players have been showing up and growing. And so from an industry standpoint, like why is this happening now? Well, microcontrollers, like the computers we need, the processing power and the weight and the cost, those are all coming down. The battery technology is really starting to get better, like good enough to make this actually a viable product. And so there's just a a handful of these things that are finally coming to fruition to make a business, a company like Joby to provide a service really possible and to actually generate revenue and have enough utility in the vehicle to provide a useful service. So it's been pretty exciting. The last five years or so, we've been very focused on maturing this design, getting it into the certification process. We are very focused on North America. We want to provide commercial operations to serve people's needs, moving them around in big cities in North America. Our goal is to certainly operate globally, but there's one like giant flaming hoop that you have to jump through if you want to do that, right? It's the FAA. They hold all the cards if you want to do any sort of flying and or operations in uh, North America. So that's obviously a big deal. So the FAA and then EASA, the equivalent in Europe, the European Aviation, can't think of the last letters. EASA and FAA are the world leaders in the certifying agencies and the rest of the world, the rest of the civil aviation authorities, they look to them, particularly around setting policy and standards and taking a unique new machine like a Joby eVTOL and certifying that, getting it a type certificate. So right now we're focused with the FAA and working solely with them to get this type certificate it's quite an effort as far as taking all the different regulations that exist and kind of bringing them together under a, a cert basis, which we've established, this G1 issue paper, they call it. So we have a cert basis with the FAA, and we're working through all the different um, standards that are going to be required to ultimately show that we comply with every single regulation. The new and novel areas are tough, right? We've got these high voltage, high power density electrical systems. We have these electric motors that are doing all the all the work. We have these fly-by-wire systems behind all of it. A lot of software, highly, highly integrated systems. These aren't terribly new, particularly in the big aircraft like airliners and advanced business jets, and certainly not in the military either. But from a general aviation standpoint, a Part 23 airplane, right, the types that we're really used to coming going to your airports, this is very revolutionary from an FAA or certification standpoint. So there's a lot of work going on right now to kind of bring all these regulations together to certify 
this type of technology and, and make it a vehicle that operates in our national space and comes to and from your airports. So a lot going on, but that's uh, what Joby's up to is singularly focused on taking this vehicle, which we call the S4, and getting it a type certificate. And we're also going to get a production certificate. And so we're going to build this entire vehicle. And the unique thing about Joby is that we're actually designing and building the majority of the vehicle. So literally all the composite structures, all the motors, the propulsion motor itself, the actuators that move the flight control services, all the flight computers, every single code, line of code for all the software, we do it all in-house. So it's pretty incredible to see a company take on all of that. We are partnered with Garmin, so we are using a Garmin flight deck. Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> Trying not to boil the ocean here, but uh, a lot of technology under one roof. And so a lot of work going on to design and get that certified, but we're going to produce that too. So if you're going to produce this vehicle, there's a lot of big efforts to go through that with the FAA because they also want to ensure that they ultimately care about safety. And so if you're going to manufacture it, well, obviously you have to have a quality system and you have to have a lot of checks and balances to make sure that the vehicle you produce that comes off that manufacturing line, it has to meet the quality you got approved in that type design, like the specifics, the performance, all the features that are in that type design. You have to show that what you make obviously matches that to a minimum. So we're in the process of getting this production certificate. And then the third piece is the operating certificate, right? We're going to be an airline too. We're going to operate our vehicles. We're not going to sell this vehicle to the average Joe or Jane, right? Sorry to say, it saddens my heart, <laughs> but we're going to operate these vehicles. So to do that same thing, a lot of process and procedure, like all the regulations it takes to operate and keep an airline operational. So we're doing all that. So that's the 135. 135 is just the code and the code of federal regulations around short haul air taxis. Airliners, they operate to the 121 specs. We're going to operate to the 135, but we have to go get that certificate, which is actually in work as well. So that's what Joey's up to, is working on all three of those pieces. And our big, big goal is to get all that done by the end of 23 so that we could begin commercial operations in the beginning of 2024 very aggressive goal, but we're working extremely hard to go through all those steps and to make this possible for you and I to literally pull out your phone one day and say, I'm in downtown Santa Cruz. I want to go to Palo Alto and catch a show. Come get me. <laughs> Just like an Uber service, right? So that's what we're up to. Great, Scott. Just a follow-up question. 2024, is that piloted or non-piloted? Uh, good question. So all of our vehicles, our, the Joby S4 vehicle is a piloted vehicle. It's not going to be an autonomous drone. So if you were to stand on the Vertiport and call up the uh, Joby service, a vehicle will land with a Joby professional certificated pilot inside of it. I mean, it'll be very similar to like a typical 135 helicopter operation or a 135 piloted airplane operation. So we'll have an, a human being in the vehicle talking with air traffic control, using the system to navigate, very typical operations you see today but with a very advanced aircraft and a very safe and reliable aircraft underneath him or her. And so that's how we'll operate day one. But there's a long-term goal path to operate the vehicle fully autonomous. So a lot of technology and a lot of certification, right? A lot of testing that we'll have to go through to convince the FAA that that is safe and, and operates safely in all the different various conditions and failure modes. So a lot of work there. We have a parallel path where we're doing that technology development, and we'll be working with the FAA on the regulatory side to get approval 
to operate fully unpiloted. But that's a, a bit down the road. How long? I can't quite say. But that's how we start day one is piloted vehicle. Very good. From an airport management side and how this even took place and working through it and requirements and operations and operating at a GA airport. Jeff, can you talk a little bit about your process and having Joby at Marina? That was about 2016, 17. So I started talking with Jobin about the potential of Joby Aviation being here, not realizing that it was going to be quite what it is today. We are certainly pleased that Joby represents several benefits to the airport. First and foremost, the UAM industry presents opportunities for smaller GA airports, I think, to really partner with UAM companies. For us, Joby is that partner. And um, so it's improving our, our revenues. And so airport revenues are the best they've ever been. And that's due in large part to Joby's presence here and expanding presence. They've been in three of our current buildings. These are former Army 1960 and 70 years construction. So Another big benefit is that Joby comes in and is making tremendous improvements to the buildings and to the existing facility. They're also expanding to meet some of their production needs. There's a lot of other fun things that have happened since they've been here, such as we did a use permit so that they could do uh, perform ground propeller testing on the airport on uh, old taxi lane. And, and uh, also we utilize the runway for that at times. So it's been fun and challenging from an airport manager standpoint to, to try to make that work and, and not be in conflict with your legacy aircraft. Recently, we've had FAA and NASA here doing drone surveys of the airport. And uh, we've had a couple of meetings with FAA, NASA, and Joby to work at research and development design, if you will, of a vertiport and how that might take place here at the airport. So those are some of the fun things. As an airport manager, when I go out and I check the facilities, I, I often peek at the buildings that Joby's at just to catch a glimpse of their awesome technology and how much change is going on in terms of improvements. And so it's just, that's a tremendous side of benefit from Joby being here. Also, you know, Joby represents several pilots, and so they, they're constantly, they're a great group of people, Scott included, to uh, give us feedback and suggest improvements. So that's been very much appreciated. On the operations side, one of the things that's, that's been difficult is Joby, as a startup, it has needed the airport to be fairly responsive in terms of getting them the space they need getting future space for expansion lined up. So there's a lot of dynamics going on on the operational side. There's building leases. I've moved tenants to accommodate Joey being able to, to operate wholly in a building. We've had to do ground leases. Yeah, I think the responsive part is, is probably the most challenging. FAA right now doesn't seem to have a clear-cut policy on how they treat UAM, whether they want to say UAM production is a aviation or non-aviation uses. So I think we're been pushing forward on that issue. And so that's presented a, a fun challenge. And 
every day, Joby adds more people onto the airport, getting access inside the fence. And, and so there's a lot going on in terms of just making sure the operations are running smoothly and that everyone is operating without conflict between different various users of the airport. From the economic development and redevelopment standpoint, Joby Aviation represents the single best economic recovery opportunity we've had for the four-door base closure. We anticipate that if they if they fully grow out here at this facility for their current level of plans, it would represent something like around 600 to 800 jobs here at our airport. That's just a tremendous opportunity. Well, that's awesome. Uh, really, I mean, just amazing time for GA right now, I think. It's really kind of changed the general aviation world as far as the emerging technologies and how they're going to apply to the future and how we adapt as airfield managers and uh, some of the challenges that we're going to face and preparing for that and being prepared in 2024 how do we do that? And I'm I'm leading this up to Sarah. And how do we get ready for this? And what are some of the impacts that we may see? Sarah? I'm speaking to general airports, but when it comes to the actual infrastructure, the size of the aircraft is not going to trigger needing to re-update the geometry of your airport or all of a sudden get new hangars because the aircraft won't fit in the hangars. So that is a bit of good news. I think the challenging is planning for some of the elements that are a little bit on the unknown because it's still new and there's a lot of different users. For instance, there's not a standard adapter for the plug-in configuration. So I think every airport, they have to be very intentional about which manufacturers they're going to support at their airport and really develop the relationship the way Jeff and Scott have developed their relationship, their working relationship at the airport. One of the things to also consider is, can your grid handle charging one aircraft? Can it handle charging two? Making sure that you're planning for that infrastructure as well. Thinking about when are they going to be charging during peak hour? Can it handle that? There's all these different components that go into making sure that you can have this as a viable option. I think one of the last things I was going to bring up is the the fuel charge and the fuel tax. That is a major source of revenue for a lot of the clients that we have, fuel sales. And you go this route, you want to make sure that you can replace that revenue with something else so that you're not losing out. Currently, a lot of states don't allow additional taxes to utilities, which applies for charging. And... You just have to be very intentional about your plan on bringing these users into your airport. You know, if I could add maybe just some uh, additional input there, I really see this this whole EV toll or UAM, urban air mobility, right? There's like a couple of different categories. So there's the general aviation type of aircraft that are now becoming all electric, for example. You get the Sunflyer, you get the Alpha Electro from Pistro. Like these airplanes are meant to be at least starting out as like trainers, like a great electric trainer. They're pretty small batteries, 20 to 40, 50, 60, maybe up to 100 kilowatts. Uh, again, for, for reference there, like a Tesla, right? A big, Tesla is one of the biggest batteries out there, but it's a, about a 100 kilowatt hour battery pack. 
you know, like how much energy capacity can it store? So Tesla for reference, 100 kilowatts is pretty big, but Joby's uh, a little bit bigger than that. And then like the Sunflyer, some of these train aircraft are a fair bit smaller. So well, what does it take to charge a Tesla, right? So a typical supercharger for a Tesla, it needs 480 volts and cut off right up to a couple hundred amps, I believe. You know, that infrastructure alone, you know, if you had a single Tesla supercharger infrastructure, you could charge two or three or four of these small trainer type of aircraft all at once. And then for like a Joby, if a Joby were to land or want to do operations there, it could be a pretty significant increase on infrastructure. So I think there's two categories. There's this EV toll type of operations that are trying to actually run a business and move people around as like an air taxi. And there'd be a lot of planning to go into that, of course. But if we want to take a passenger to the Palo Alto airport, for example, we might want to land and be able to do some quick charging. So we'd have to work with the airport manager, you, Andy, and obviously work on the specifics of what our charger looks like, how much power do we need. And so how many companies are going to want to do that? How many will have unique chargers? So there's that whole part of the conversation. But then you have these trainers that are people out literally using these aircraft to just do training like you would in a Cessna 172. What do I need to prepare for for them? So they're going to want to go to Palo Alto and Watsonville and land at these airports, and they would definitely want to have the ability to do some charging. Their infrastructure, I think, will be a lot easier. And again, like these are just standard aircraft. They're going to operate very typical to what you're used to. They're going to pull up to the fuel island. Like Watsonville is a good example. They have a nice restaurant right there by the tie-down area, the public tie-down area. You know, if I were to fly to Watsonville, I'm doing some flight training. I don't have a lot of range, so I might land at Wattsville, go in. I want to park. I want to charge for like 45 minutes maybe and go sit down, do some lesson planning with my instructor and jump back in the airplane and go to the next airport. Like that would be a very typical scenario that could happen today. Like there's Alpha Electros, the Pippa aircraft. There's a handful of them down in Fresno. Like they're here today operating. And so that will slowly grow. And I think as an airport manager, that's a very common scenario to think through and plan for today, but literally no changes to how these vehicles will operate on your airport. It's really just like, how do I charge them up? What do I need? And like, where should I put that? So that's that piece. The EV toll, commercial, air taxi thing, that's a bit of a different animal. And uh, planning for that, I think will there's still a lot of, there's years left for these companies to come to fruition and really be showing up. So there's some time there for, for that level of infrastructure needs, but that's kind of how I see it. There's like this electric airplane training, personal ownership market, and there's this commercial high volume, potentially type of bigger batteries. Great, Scott. Yeah, at Palo Alto, we are in phase three of our apron project. All of the three phases have planned infrastructure for future needs and mostly focused on the trainer, the private electric aircraft. And we got about into phase two and it was, whoa, wait a minute. We need to plan also for the heavier and not knowing what to plan for has been a real challenge. We've put as much infrastructure for the future that we can plan for. And I just encourage other airports to look at that and look very seriously at that. If you're doing improvements to make sure that you you can only plan so far and so much, but there it's a lot easier to get a stick of pipe into the, you know, of a conduit into the apron when you have it all tore up than wait. So planning for the future, knowing as much as you can know to do that and just watching what's going on is 
is so important in our industry right now. That kind of takes us to a point where let's uh, give Jeff and Sarah a chance to ask you some questions, if you don't mind, Scott. Kind of, sure. you know, okay. Go ahead, Sarah. I'm just curious. Initially, has it been difficult to convince airports to support your presence at their airports? I mean, I know it's pretty locally in the Bay Area, but even outside of this area. So you're asking from like the commercial side, we want mm-hmm. to operate and come to your airport. I can't say where we've been talking to airports, but we definitely are thinking through like where are our first markets and how will we do all this. So it's still early stage for that. Now, Jeff, on the other hand, we put him in a headlock about every day and wrestle about uh, what we need to do on the airport and infrastructure and all that. So, yeah, from the commercial side, it's still early stage. And Jeff, this is your opportunity to ask Scott questions uh, that you can't ask him on the apron. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, <laughs> my question would be is, is if you're a small airport and you're on the edge of these major metropolitan markets, do you anticipate maybe having like battery packs or maintenance facilities at, at airports that would represent opportunities for these GA airports? Yeah, that's a good question. Again, we'll be very strategic on where we go. And clearly, we'll need uh, big MRNO facilities to manage and deal with the aircraft. So whether it's on a specific airport and have a typical big hangar to, to do that type of work, very, very possible. If I was running a smaller port and knew about what I know and see all this coming, I would certainly want to be as enticing as possible. What does that mean? Obviously, it depends on the size, but making it easy for us to say, wow, look look at this. It's close. They're very willing to help us fast track things with the city, the infrastructure, all the things that would be needed, making that as easy as possible to attract companies doing this eVTOL commercial. Those are all important things and hard, making hangar space available, quickly putting up buildings. Like obviously there's the city's involved. There's a process. At some point you can only go so fast, but anything that could be done to help make that go faster make more sense. I would like to say it's self-explanatory on what would be needed to attract a company. Great. So from a noise aspect of it, Scott, that's something I know my citizens of Palo Alto will be very interested and want to know, you know, what is this impact going to be on communities? That is a great question. I talked about safety and how important safety has been in all of our equations, thinking about how to design this vehicle and also operations to be as safe as possible. So safety is paramount and we're doing it, but man, noise has been a very close second. If we can't solve the noise problem, we don't really have a business because helicopters already do this business to some extent, right? Like they can take off and land vertically, very small areas, travel fairly fast, take a fair amount of people. But they're expensive. And what's the worst thing, right? They're crazy loud. Like they're just the sound. It's like a very high noise level, but it's also the frequency is very pervasive. It just goes through buildings. And as you know, you're running a city, you're running an airport. Ultimately, it's the citizens, it's the users of the city that ultimately decide what gets done or what shouldn't be done, right? So if people are not going to put up with an annoying sound over and over again, they will complain. And if there's enough complaints, things get done. So we've been very focused on the noise piece, solving that. And it's crazy quiet. If you go to our Joby website, down in the newsroom, there's an update where Joe Ben's basically standing in front of the vehicle and it hovers up, turns around, takes off and, and flies away. And he's talking the whole time. You try and do that with a helicopter, 
like it's inaudible. It actually hurts your ears, right? So it's a very, very different level of noise signature. So to your question, Andy, what are my citizens, my airport neighbors, what are they going to say about this if I were to be flying into and out of Palo Alto to run our business? Well, it's very, very quiet. We're being very sensitive to how the vehicle will sound and feel to the outlying neighbors. Overall, it's about the background noise of being in a city. So 65 to 70 dBA is what we've been measuring and kind of published. We're somewhere in that spectrum, right? Whereas a typical helicopter of that size would be 85, 90 dBA, taking into distance and measuring that equally. So it's pretty substantial, a couple orders of magnitude reduction in acoustical energy. And so that the people around the airport technically will literally not know that we're flying over. You jump in a bonanza and you take off and your propeller spinning at 27 RPM, sometimes, you know, breaking the sound barrier. Like it's crazy loud, the propeller noise for most GA airplanes taking off and have an airport is pretty annoying. I like it, but helicopters pretty much very, very loud. So we will not be at all in that noise category. When we're flying around, we're about, uh, I can't say all the numbers at this point, but basically if we were flying overhead a thousand feet, you literally could not measure our sound. It's just it's just such low energy. So those are good things, right? That's what we want for the people around the airport so that they just don't know that we're there and things will feel more normal, like there's not an airport. So that's where we're trending and we're working very hard on the noise piece. And so I would love for the, the people seeing or hearing about this, taking confidence that, wow, this is not going to be a super annoying situation. It's not going to like 10x my complaints about aircraft noise. It's actually going to get better. Wow, that's really interesting and, and, and a breath of fresh air, really, for I think, uh, especially the, the noise component that we deal with um, at airports across the nation. Scott, Real quick, we, just to add to that, we think about like pollution, right? Vehicles, aircraft spewing out pollution chemically. There's also noise pollution. And so that's just as important almost. And so, yeah, we're working on both of those, like literally a true all electric aircraft, no emissions when we're operating the vehicle and very low emissions on the noise signature. So exciting stuff. Yeah, very, very positive thing for aviation. Scott, kind of to wrap this up, can you kind of summarize or kind of a question or response back to Jeff and I as airport managers? And from that point of view, how could we help you? How could we help prepare for this or discuss points of it? But some of the main points of that, and then also to Sarah, on how, from a planning and engineering point of view, to help airport managers? Can you kind of give us a summary of what would be your best thing that we could do to prepare for this? Well, from my perspective, what I would love to get help from from the airports is a couple of things. Being open, like we are right now, about, hey, this is coming. We're actually excited. We want to help and work with you. Someday, I want to be able to bring a GOBS4 to the Palo Alto Airport. I want to land and pick up passengers. So there's all kinds of things to be dealt with, right? Passenger egress is there a place for us to put up a Joby FBO. Those are big things that need time and planning and all the charging infrastructure, of course. Also, just getting the word out to the community. Like, how can we let them know, like, this is actually a positive thing. Like, there's not going to be this noise pollution. We're going to bring value to you to allow you to be, you know, close to the airport and to be potentially one of the hubs so that you can jump on and use this service to actually improve your life, get to places you would 
you don't sit in Palo Alto and think about going to Vallejo very often, right? Maybe like on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning when, when there's not much traffic to drive across the bay and do all that. Like you don't even think about that because it's like almost impossible. It takes three hours or so depending on the time of the day. Now that will become relatively possible, like real world use case, affordable, like those are powerful things. So getting the word out that this is actually a good thing versus citizens around the airport going, just throwing up their hands immediately without thinking or asking questions like, wait, what is this really? Like, what does this actually mean? And so just taking a good attitude and approach to this as they start to see and hear more about it. So it's exciting stuff. I think we really are making a positive difference to the world. We just love your help and spreading that word. And then we just have to work through all this as we get more and more serious about locations. Excellent. Yeah, that was exactly what I was looking at from planning and design to as airport managers, how can we work to educate the public, the user group? And that's great. I really appreciate all your time. And I think uh, this has been a really, really eye-opening and very, very positive points that have come out of this that I was very surprised to hear, Scott. And I think Jeff and Sarah and I will work together to try to put together kind of some points from this and go back to our association and talk about it. So I really appreciate your time. I think this will wrap everything up. And I think this just leads to more questions and more podcasts. So thank you, everybody. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Association of California Airports podcast, a podcast designed for California GA airport professionals. If you have a question you would like answered or would like more information about ACA, visit us at calairports.com forward slash contact.